Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're talking about perhaps the greatest of all fictional detectives, Sherlock Holmes, and also learning about the people who really love him. We're joined by Denny Dobry from the Beacon Society. The Beacon Society is an organization dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. It provides teachers, librarians, children's museums and children's theatres with resources to bring the magic of Sherlock Holmes to life. I've learned that there are all sorts of societies dedicated to Arthur Conan Doyle's detective, and they are descendants of the first such society, the Baker Street Irregulars, which was started in 1934 and is still going strong today. Now, Denny is going to tell us a little about the Beacon Society. Welcome, Denny. Uh, thank you, Richard, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about the Beacon Society. Lovely. Thanks for joining us. Now, perhaps you can tell us a little about the Society. How and when did it begin? How many members did you have? do you have? Okay, well, back in 2003, one of our members, uh, one of the members of the Baker Street Irregulars by the name of Maribel Briggs, And I surmised this a little bit. I suspect she was looking around and saw that there were a lot of older Sherlockians uh, in her group. And she thought, you know, we probably should promote our our master uh, among the younger folks. And that was the birth of the Beacon Society, whose whose goal is to introduce Sherlock Holmes to our younger people. Yeah, we have, uh, we've been in existence since 2003. Uh, we have uh, six committees that do the work for us. Um, there is a grants committee, a communications committee, awards committee, the Sherlock uh, uh, Junior Sherlockian Society, and a program committee. And that would uh, that entails about uh, thirty people. And then we have uh, we have the office of president, which we call the headlight. And we have the Office of the Treasury, which we call the Bursar, and we have the Secretary. Um, we have close to 200 people on our mailing list to help us with our various projects along the way. So, uh, and, we're, and we're going strong. We're going strong. We're, uh, we have some very dedicated people working with us. So you seem to be very focused on providing educational resources for young people. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, originally, the first program that uh, the society started was our grant program. Uh, what this does, it provides teachers, uh, librarians, educators to apply for a grant to buy materials and to set up a program uh, to promote Sherlock Holmes in their classroom or their library or in any other venue they may be working in. Um, that program still continues today. Um, give up to uh, a grant up to $750 for applicants who, who qualify. And what can young people learn by reading or studying the, the Sherlock Holmes stories? Well, I think the biggest lesson that we give to young people who pick up a copy of the canon is that reading can be fun. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, we see today our kids are spending a lot of time on the computer, on their cell phones, on their iPads, and the, uh, the pleasure of reading seems to be escaping them. So what we hope to do is to introduce them to Sherlock Holmes stories, which are a lot of fun, 
and hopefully they'll that'll start them down the road to reading more and, and other other venues so it would be I'm just trying to remember some of the stories I read when I was younger but it would be the his deduction powers his use of science his noticing of the little details that other people miss all of those things that add up to how he puts his stories together yeah that that's what makes makes it fun because uh, Conan Doyle was a master storyteller and he's able to uh, just capture the reader into the stories uh, using like you said Holmes uh, powers of deduction and the the other thing one of the other things that is uh, very favorable is the relationships between Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson. They were they were great friends. Um, often you see Sherlock Holmes kind of demeaning Watson here and there, but their stories where you find that uh, Sherlock Holmes was uh, very caring and about uh, Dr. Watson. So there's a lot of aspects between the relationship between Holmes and Watson that are that are favorable. And also the stories themselves, they're just fun. They're not uh, you know, some of the gruesome stories that are you see on TV today with all the blood and gore. Not that there isn't some blood in some of the stories, but it, it just handled so well. And like I said, Conan Doyle was a master storyteller. He just grabs the reader uh, as soon as you start reading. So Conan Doyle died um, 90 years ago. Uh, why do you think his stories are still going strong with societies, um, movies, TV series, so many different aspects to what, to what he wrote about. Well, again, they're, they're fun. I mean, the characters are fun. The times that the stories take place in Victorian London, you know, Britain was at the top of their game. And uh, life there was really so much different than it is today. It's not, it wasn't all the type of uh, fear and things that uh, bothers us today in those days. They were more relaxed, at least if you were not in the poor class. So the poor classes had it pretty tough in Victoria and London. But the uh, you know middle, upper class uh, had a, a pretty decent life. And to read, to read about those times and those people that lived in those times, it's a uh, it, it brings kind of a, a relaxed feeling to you. Uh, most of the Sherlock Holmes stories start with Holmes and Watson sitting at Baker Street, uh, smoking their pipes, sitting in front of a fire, and talking about this or that, and it's just a, uh, a completely relaxing atmosphere that, uh, that you start out with in, in most of Sherlock Holmes stories. And then there's a visitor and off we go. Yes, uh, I, I think like 40-some stories start at Baker Street with Holmes and Watson having a little discussion about this or that, and then the, a client shows up and the, and the game is afoot. Right. So as I was researching this, this phenomenon, um, I came across the word Sherlock, Sherlockiana. It's, it's a wonderful phrase. Um, so aside from books, what do people who love Holmes also collect? Okay, well, first of all, the people who love Holmes refer to themselves as Sherlockians. Uh, that's in the United States. In Britain, they refer to themselves as Holmesians. So that's where uh, the, the American term for Sherlockian, uh, the term for Sherlockiana came from. Um, and uh, 
<laughs> there's so many different things that people collect. Uh, they collect stamps and coins and ceramic statues, stuffed animals, posters, mugs, glasses, um, uh, autographs. I had I have one friend who has almost 200 autographs of actors that uh, that uh, played Holmes and photographs of, and other autographs. Um, some people collect matchbooks. There's been many matchbooks that have been produced over time from different restaurants that, that feature Sherlock Holmes. Um, one collector collected only foreign language copies of the stories. Um, we would kid him that he owned a library of 300 books that he couldn't read. Um, so, uh, and actually that collection now is, uh, was donated to uh, Southern Methodist University and it's there for, for people to go and, and enjoy. And, and another uh, aspect is I just uh, uh, contacted a, a young lady who only collects editions of The Hound, The Baskervilles, which is the most popular home um, story. And there's been hundreds of editions of, of that particular story that have uh, been produced over time. So just about anything that you can collect that uh, you can you can slap a Sherlock Holmes profile on and people will, will buy and collect. Right, okay, makes sense. So when you meet somebody, would you ever introduce yourself, perhaps at a dinner party, as a Sherlockian? Well, I wouldn't hit him with that right off the bat. I would first say I'm a devotee of Sherlock Holmes, okay? And then, then the, as the conversation go on, I would introduce them to the term Sherlockian. Um, and, uh, and and I have uh, many pe- people have come up to me and they said, you're, you're into Sherlock Holmes, right? And I said, yes, I am. I'm a devotee. And, and the conversation goes from there. And usually what would be their first question then? Uh, a lot of times, um, how did you get into it? How long have you been uh, involved with it? Uh, what do you do with it? Uh, and then, of course, uh, one of the things that most people know about Sherlock Holmes is that he used cocaine. That that almost always comes up, um, and uh, you know the, the the answer to that or the comeback to that is back in Victorian times, cocaine was not illegal. It was a uh, basically a drug that was commonly used to uh, help people with anxiety and that sort of thing. And Holmes himself only used cocaine when he did not have a case. Um, he would be bored, and he would turn to cocaine to kind of uh, ease his pain. And uh, in the stories, we find that uh, Dr. Watson um, weans Holmes off the cocaine after a number of years of their relationship. So uh, we don't hear about the cocaine in, in the, the later stories. It honestly seems quite mild now compared to other flawed detectives that we have um, from the last yes. hundred years, really. Yes. Yeah. So just just going back to the Beacon Society, when you uh, provide educational resources, so obviously you've got the books, but w- what else can you provide to, say, a school or a library? Um, well, uh, right, we've just started and we're in the process of awarding the first round of winners. We started an essay contest. Uh, the contest is uh, given or provided to uh, the three classes of students, fourth to the sixth grade, uh, seventh to the tenth, and eleventh to the, the twelfth. And um, what they're asked to do is to read one of the Sherlock Holmes stories, 
and then write an essay about it. Um, the winners get cash prizes of $300 first place, 200 second, 100 third, and also a nice plaque uh, to award them. So um, it's, that's a little bit different than the, the grant program that we have where uh, teachers kind of run the show and, and possibly buy books or other things to get their kids to read. Uh, the essay contest is more geared towards parents and uh, teachers promoting the writing skills of, of kids and get and, and again our goal is to get kids interested in Sherlock Holmes so they have to read the story and to produce the essay contest so like I said we just started that uh, this year and um, we've got uh, we've got a fair amount of applicants already that we're actually in the process of judging right now um, the another program that is getting started is that we're going to provide libraries with display items to put up in their display cases in their buildings um, to show our homes. So there'll be displays of photographs of the various doctors that have played homes, uh, uh, the, some of the books, uh, some of the quotes, some of the three-dimensional things like the statues and stuffed animals I mentioned. Uh, something to grab the eyes of kids and hopefully say to the librarian, hey, I'd like to read about Sherlock Holmes. So, uh, again, that program is just getting started, um, and we're kind of excited about that as well. Okay. So for my generation, um, I remember the 14 Basil Rathbone black and white films, which used to be... Um, They'd often put them on on a Sunday afternoon on BBC Two back home, and I would remember watching those again and again. But today, I, I'm I'm wondering if people are inspired by people like Robert Downey Jr. and Benedict Cumber Cumberbatch in their roles as Sherlock. Well, the the interest in Sherlock Holmes over the years it, it seems to have a rebirth every once in a while. Okay, the the serious movement. Well, first of all, back to the Strand Magazine. The Strand Magazine is the first appearance of the short stories of Conan Doyle, um, of Sherlock Holmes. And it started in 1891, and they appeared in the Strand Magazine. Uh, back in those days, people relied on these magazines and their stories for their entertainment. And up to the time that uh, Sherlock Holmes appeared, most of the stories in magazines appeared as a serial. In other words, if you read this story this week, you had to read it the next month in, in the same magazine to continue the story. Conan Doyle came up with the idea of making a, even though he had repeating characters, each story was complete in its own. So a reader could pick up a magazine, read a Sherlock Holmes story, and put it down, and if you never got back to Sherlock Holmes for a couple months, he didn't miss anything. So that became very popular. Then in 1912, Ronald Knox, Reverend Ronald Knox, uh, wrote a paper called The Literature of Sherlock Holmes. He uh, proposed the notion that what would happen if we applied the type of uh, interest and a type of uh, discussion that we use for, like, the Bible to other literary characters. And he proposed that let's do that with the Sherlock Holmes stories. But in uh, 1930, the Doubleday publishers published the complete Sherlock Holmes, which was the first book that contained all the written words of Conan Doyle about Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Christopher Morley did the introduction to that uh, to that volume, 
and uh, that kind of started a uh, another rebirth of the interest in Sherlock Holmes. In uh, 1934 or 1933, uh, Vince Strutt wrote The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Christopher Morley started to meet with his friends and they were discussing the, uh, the stories over a couple of drinks. And before you know it, the, the Baker Street Regular found it. A uh, group of uh, gentlemen that together got together periodically over a few drinks and they discussed the Sherlock Holmes stories and they, uh, they quizzed each other about the details of the stories. And uh, that was, again, the one of the biggest movements in the Sherlock Holmes rebirth. Uh, 1944, um, Edgar Smith, who was a vice president with General Motors, became uh, essentially the leader of the Baker Street Regulars, and he published a, a book called The Profiles in Gaslight. Uh, it was an anthology of a number of the uh, scholarship articles that had been written, written, written about Sherlock Holmes over the time. And in 1946, he started the Baker Street Journal, which is the uh, Baker Street Irregulars uh, uh, quarterly journal that was published and still is published today. So again, another rebirth in the early 40s, mid-40s. Yes. Um, and now... Modern times, or you mentioned uh, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, um, Benedict Cumberbatch, okay, 2010. Both of those were introduced into the scene, and again, a lot of new Sherlockians came into being uh, because of uh, Cumberbatch. Again, a lot of young ladies enjoyed the, watching him. He is a very attractive young man, and uh, and that was great. I mean, that, that they weren't based on the original stories. A lot of people said, wow, this, these stories are really neat. I wonder what the originals look like. So a lot of people became interested in the original stories through the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch series and also through the Robert Downey Jr. series. So, yeah, the, it seems like every 10 years, though, that something that comes along that gets people's interest back up to, up to snuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder about Moriarty. Do many people ask about him? Because he, he figured pretty prominently in the Rathbone uh, films, but w wasn't so uh, prominent in the actual uh, stories themselves, the real stories, the original stories. Correct. He only appears three times. His, his name's only mentioned three times in the stories. Um, so he's never he's not really a major character, although he was, uh, he was Holmes' uh, arch enemy uh, for the time that he appeared. And I think uh, Holmes was a little downtrodden when uh, when Moriarty got defeated. I think he liked the idea of uh, having him to compete against. But uh, no, not too many people ask about Moriarty. I think uh, some of the modern characters, uh, especially like in uh, in Sherlock, the Moriarty character there was really unique. I know a lot of people enjoyed that characterization of Moriarty. Um, but uh, yeah. The, don't focus on Moriarty that much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, Danny, one final question. Um, what book or books are you currently reading? Well, I do read a story of the canon uh, before we have a meeting, okay? I'll be reading this week. Uh, I'll be reading The Blue Carbuncle uh, this week. We have a meeting next Saturday. Uh, and I also belong to a mystery book club. Uh, we read a different mystery every month. Uh, right now I'm reading uh, Since We Fell by Dennis Lehane. 
Um, and um, I'm about three quarters of the way through. It's uh, getting it's getting interesting. It took a while getting interesting, but <laughs> it's getting there. And um, I actually I've only blown this group for about a half a year, but I have managed to uh, instill at least one. Sherlock Holmes story every year in our in our repertoire. So uh, uh, last year we did uh, Speckled Band and uh, Scandal in Bohemia, um, and this year we're going to do Seventh Solution. So, uh, so I keep busy with the with that. Excellent, excellent. Um, all right, so that's all we have time for this week. Denny, uh, many thanks for joining us. It was my pleasure. Yep. And please uh, go to their. Uh, the Beacon Society uh, website. It's beaconsociety.com and uh, check out our programs and uh, we're always looking for people to contribute ideas and to lend their help. So uh, please check it out. Yes, do. I, I've I, uh, spent an afternoon browsing it and it's, it's lots to read and lots of resources on there. All right, smashing. Thank you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you all again next time. <laughs>